Now, some of you probably have noticed this, but we have done some fast forwarding in David's life. In today's passage, David is no longer a shepherd. He's no longer hiding from Saul, but he is the king of Israel. He's no longer the next king, but he is the king. And as the king, David has won battle after battle. David remained faithful to the Lord, and the Lord gave David victory. In verse 1, we read that Israel right now is fighting with the Ammonites. But instead of being on the battlefield with his men, as a king should normally do, David is back in his crib. He's taking a break. He's resting. And after laying on his couch till late afternoon, maybe watching a couple shows on Netflix, or maybe you know, scrolling through a couple of videos on YouTube, David walks out from his roof. He looks out to the city. Remember, he's a king, so he has a very nice view. And he sees a woman bathing. And this woman happened to be very beautiful. Now, right here, we learn our first lesson from today's passage. Sin comes when we are not consumed by the things of God. Sin comes when we are not consumed by the things of God. David had God-given responsibilities as a king. His job was to fight on behalf of Israel. And when he was focused on his God-given task, he had victory after victory. But in today's passage, David is not doing what he is supposed to do. Rather, he's, con- he's, he's neglecting his God-given responsibilities. He's not consumed with the things of God. Now, it is not an accident that David is looking at a woman rather than God. When we are not consumed by the things of God, when we are not actively living out our God-given responsibilities as a Christian, as a husband or wife, as parents and children, as a member of a local church, as disciples and witnesses for the gospel, we are leaving the door open wide for sin. Sin comes when we are not consumed by the things of God. Yes, the woman was taking a bath in public. Yes, the woman was extremely beautiful. Only two women in the Bible are described in such a way, extremely beautiful. However, the reason why David's heart is fixed on this woman is not because this woman was beautiful or because you know, he was at the wrong place at the wrong time, it's because he was neglecting his God-given responsibilities as a king. If he was on the battlefield fighting as a king, then none of this would have even happened. Now, the best way to fight against sin and, stay, and the best way to stay away from sin is to stay busy for God. No, meet up with brothers and sisters in Christ. Get involved in different ministries. Go to life group. No, reach out to people around you. No, show hospitality uh, to those who do not know Jesus Christ. Disciple your children. Teach your children. Live out the gospel with your spouse. All these different things. We're not just trying to keep you busy, but when we are consumed by the things of God, there's no room for sin to enter in. No, there's so much things that God tells us to do. When we stick to that plan, when we try to live out all those different things, we don't have time for sin. The reason why we fall into sin is because we neglect our God-given responsibilities as Christians. Sin comes when we are not consumed by the things of God. 
No, and as David looks at this woman, and he has so much time on his hands, this look turns into lust. No, now David wants this woman, so he, he brings someone in. He asks um, someone to do a background check on, on this, this woman, and he finds out that her name is Bathsheba, the daughter of uh, Iliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite, who was, by the way, one of David's 30 trusted soldiers. So he was part of the inner circle. He was the guy who fought on behalf of David. He was in the cave with David, the mighty man of David. No, David owed his life to, to Uriah. No, and this should have been a big warning sign, right? Don't, don't, don't touch her. No, not only is this, this, this woman married, but the, the man that she's married to is your soldier, a man who fought on your behalf. Yet David ignores the soft sign, and he, he, he knows that Uriah, the husband, is on the front of the battlefield. So he brings in Bathsheba, and he has a one-night stand. And David sends Bathsheba back home. Um, he thinks everything is fine. You know, no one noticed anything until he le- receives a text from Bathsheba, three-letter text. I am pregnant. Man, a man's worst nightmare, right? I am pregnant. And at this point, you know, a, a lot of things are going, are going through David's mind, right? It's, it's, it's just a matter of time until, you know, people find out about this. It's clear, clearly, you know, people are going to suspect David for doing this because the husband was on the battlefield. So David, he comes up with a plan to cover up his sin, right? David is more concerned at this point about his reputation than his relationship with God. No, he's more concerned about what, how people are going to view him than how God is going to view him. No, so he brings in Uriah. Uriah is 40 miles away in the front of the battlefield, and he, the king tells Uriah to come in. Uriah is thinking, okay, this must be important, urgent, right? So he, he, he travels all that way. You know, along the way, he's wondering, oh, what could it be? What could it be? And when Uriah comes into the presence of David, David says, so, by the way, you know, how, how's everyone doing in the battlefield? You guys fighting okay? You know, you guys taking showers and everything? He just asks a couple questions, and then he gives him a gift says, man, you've been fighting so hard. Go down to your house and wash your feet. You know, here's some presents that you can take, some dessert, um, some drinks that you can share with your wife. So just rest up and spend some time at home. Now, David wanted Uriah to spend intimate time with Bathsheba. So he was setting this up so that he could cover up his sin. So one thing that we noticed here is this. I'm telling you, uh, a lot of times when we try to cover up our sins, we can get really creative, right? Things that we never thought about just pop into our head, right? Our creativity really comes out when we try to cover up our sin. Somehow, you know, we, and somehow when we uh, think about all these ideas, we think it's going to work, right? We, We are very shrewd in how we clear our search history, right? We delete all our texts, right? We don't have a problem lying in people's faces, we are very good and very creative when it comes to covering up sin. No, we try so hard to go cover up our sins, just like David is doing in this passage. No, we use all our knowledge, all our creativity, all our experience to come up with a solution that could work. But notice how Uriah responds in verse 9. 
Instead of going to his house, he sleeps at the doorsteps of David, along with the servants of David. I mean, can you imagine David's you know, reaction when he walked out of the house in the morning and he's thinking, man, you know, I pulled it off last night, everything is good, and then he sees Uriah sleeping. He's like, whoa, you know, why are you here? I thought you were going home, you're going home, that you're spending time with your wife. And Uriah says, well, majesty, the ark of the Lord, it, it doesn't have a house. It's, it's dwelling in a tent. Uh, my commander, uh, Joab, my fellow soldiers are camping under the, the stars, right? They haven't been with their family, with their wives for weeks now. They are fighting for our country at this very moment. They are battling our enemies. Now, how can I eat? and drink and lie with my wife. Even though Uriah was physically away from the battlefield, his heart was still with the soldiers. Notice that Uriah is still focused on his God-given responsibilities. Therefore, he does not fall into temptation. Unlike David, Uriah is concerned and consumed by the things of God. Now, at this point, David should have seen Uriah's integrity. And that should have, you know, kind of, you know, moved his heart. You know, maybe it would have reminded him of his, his earlier days, how he remained faithful in the midst of persecution uh, when he was facing the giant, how he remained faithful under all those circumstances. Yet, that's not what crosses David's mind, but he comes up with plan B. He says, okay, that's fine. You know, I'm going to send you back to the battlefield uh, in a couple of days, but, uh, but tonight, just come to my table. And so Uriah, he, he joins David's table, he eats, he drinks to the point that, that David makes him drunk. And at this point, David is hoping that Uriah would go back to his house, right? Because he, he can't focus, um, he, he, he's lost some sense of judgment, uh, so he's hoping that he'll be unfaithful to his task and, and sleep with his wife. But even though Uriah is intoxicated, he does not compromise his morals, his values, nor his task as a soldier. He still seeks to honor God. Therefore, he lies on the couch again in the court of David instead of going back to his house. Now, at this point, you would think that David would give up, right? But no, more creativity, more, more wisdom, right? More, more, more ideas. Uh, instead of enticing Uriah to sleep with his wife, now David changes his plan. He says, okay, I'm just going to get rid of Uriah. I mean, he's the biggest problem right now. So he writes a letter to Joab, which is the commander of the battlefield, right? He hands that into Uriah's hand, and the letter says this, send Uriah in the front, forefront of the hardest fighting, and then draw back from him that he may be struck down and die. So basically, he's telling Joab to set Uriah up. And it's kind of sick, right? This de death note, right, is handed over to Uriah. And he's holding that the whole time, you know, back to the battlefield. So here we learn another important principle about sin. One sin leads to another. One sin leads to another. At first, David committed adultery. And that in itself is a pretty serious sin, but now, David is messing around with murder. Sure enough, Uriah dies on the battlefield, right, along with all these innocent soldiers. Sin always takes us farther than we want to go. 
You know, a lot of times we think we can keep our sins under control, but the more and more we try to cover up our sin and manage our sin, the more and more sin gets out of control. Have you guys ever experienced that before? Right? When David first summoned Bathsheba to, to the palace, uh, he wasn't thinking, okay, I'm going to kill uh, Uriah. Right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take Bathsheba uh, as my wife. That, that's not what crossed his mind. He simply wanted one night with Bathsheba. No, there are moments when we say, um, when, we, when we say, man, I've been a Christian long enough that I'm not going to fall, un- fall under sin. I'm not going to fall for temptation. But notice in today's passage, David, he was a man after God's own heart, yet he fall into temptation. No, one sin, it led to another. You might say, okay, I might be able to talk about other people, but I'm not going to gossip. You might say, well, uh, I'm not going to, I'm going to spend a lot of time on social media, but I'm not going to become jealous, right? Um, We say, okay, I'm going to spend a lot of time in front of my computer, uh, just web searching. I'm not going to click on something inappropriate. That's not going to happen today. Right? We, 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 we say, okay, man, um, I'm going to go to this party, I'm going to drink a lot of wine, but I'll never get drunk. That will never happen to me. Right? We say, I'm going to spend some intimate time with my boyfriend and girlfriend. I'm just going to hold hands. The next thing you do, you hug one another. Next thing you do, you kiss one another. Next thing you do, it's, you went all the way. And you can never, never go back. You know, a lot of times we say, well, I can have friends of the opposite gender, and I can meet them privately, have private conversations, and I'll still remain faithful to my husband or to my wife. A lot of times, you don't think that we're going to go all the way, but one sin leads to another. The moment that we think that we are strong, that we think that we're pretty experienced, we think that we are mature enough to handle our own sin, that's the moment that we are taking a step closer to sin. Because our hearts have unlimited potential to commit sin. Did you know that? That our hearts have unlimited potential to commit sin. David, he was a man after God's own heart, yet he coveted against, uh, over uh, the wife of his soldier. Next thing, he committed adultery. Next thing, he committed murder. Next thing, he lied to cover up uh, all his sins, and at the end, he steals the wife. In one chapter, he breaks five of the Ten Commandments. I mean, not including uh, uh, all the first ones where he dishonored God, right? In a split second, David falls into sin. The godly man David. David broke half of the Ten Commandments. And what makes you think you're better than David? David was a man after God's own heart. He fall into sin. King Solomon, he had all the wisdom in the world, yet he fall into sin. Samson, he was, he was the strongest man, uh, right, uh, in the Bible, yet he fall into temptation. What makes you think that you have enough to fight against sin? We have this unlimited ability in our hearts to commit sin. Sin is not a byproduct of our circumstances, but it's a product of our hearts. No, one sin leads to another. So now we see that um, David, finally he accomplished his mission, right? Everything seems, no, it seems like it's a done deal. Um, he takes Bathsheba as his wife, and it seems like he pulled it off. 
But notice what it says in the last line of chapter 11, in verse 27. It says this, And when the morning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. So everything seems fine, but notice this. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. The thing that David had done displeased the Lord. And we can try hard to cover up our sins, and sometimes we can fool people, but we will never be able to fool God. And that's kind of the main idea today. We can fool people, but we can't fool God with sin. A secret that is hidden on earth is a public scandal in heaven. A private conversation or a private sin on earth is a public sin in the eyes of God. God sees beyond what's happening on the surface because he sees the heart of men. And he sees our every thought. No, sin can never be hidden from God. God saw everything that David has done, every thought that David had, and it says that it was displeasing to the Lord. So he sends uh, this prophet, Nathan, the prophet who blessed David in earlier chapters. And uh, he comes with this story. He says, your majesty, uh, I have a case. There were two men in a city. One was rich, one was poor. The rich man had a lot of flock. But this poor man, he had one little lamb. And it was like family to this man, right? The Bible says that it was like a daughter to this man. But one day a traveler comes, right? And the rich man, he has to treat this traveler. But instead of using something from his flock, he takes that one little lamb that that poor man had. And he takes that pet lamb and turns it into the main course of his feast. No, he didn't buy it from the poor man. The Bible says that he took it from the poor man. And after hearing this story, you know, David, he responds to the story. And now you might think this is kind of a weird sequence, but you have to understand back in the day, there was no separation in power, right? The king was the judge. Um, king Solomon, when there were hard cases uh, that people could not solve, they brought it to King Solomon, and that's why he asked for wisdom, right? He wanted to give right direction and judge in the right way. So, you know, what David normally does, he hears the case and he's like, okay, let me give you my judgment. He says in verse 5, then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Now, this seems fair, right, to some of us who know the importance of pets, right? Yes, yes. If you touch my family, you should die. But according to the Levitic law, um, if you touch someone else's, you know, animal, then you have to repay them in a certain way, but you don't have to die uh, for the animal. So David, he's being very extreme, right? He's being overly righteous at this point regarding other people's sin, but yet you notice that he is extremely gracious about his own sin, and that's how we normally operate, right? Other people's sins, it looks so big, but my sin, it's like, not a big deal, right? We are so gracious to our own sin. A lot of times, the reason why we are more strict to others, the reason why uh, we are more harsh about other people's sins, because by doing so, it makes us feel less guilty. 
Because when we point out other people's sins, for some reason, we feel righteous, don't we? Right? So David, he doesn't recognize his own sin, yet he makes this harsh judgment. And after sharing this story, Nathan, he finally gets to the point. A lot of times, you know, people just talk and talk and talk and never get to the point. Well, Nathan, he's the type of person who gets straight to the point. He says, King, you are the man. You're the man in the story. David was able to fool a lot of people, but he wasn't able to fool God. His lies, acting all righteously, God had none of that. He sees the problem. You are the man. And in the same way, I think God is telling us today, today you are the man. When we are listening to this sermon and we are reading this passage, you know, as we are reading along, we were probably thinking, man, David, what happened to you? You know, how could you fall under, into this, this temptation and, and commit such, such terrible sin? But what God is telling us today is you are David. I'm David. I'm just like David. You know, it's just that I'd never had an opportunity like a king. If I had an opportunity, I'll fall right uh, into the hands of sin. You know, we can try to fool people, but we can't fool God. You know, God reminds David about everything that he gave uh, to him as a king. And how despite all of that, David, uh, he despised God's word and how he did evil in God's sight. And then he lists out all these different consequences. How because you killed Uriah, that the sword will never leave your house. That you would have constant battle against uh, foreign nations. How your descendants will cause all this trouble and follow your pattern of sin. At this point, after this, the nation of Israel is never the same. No, soon it's going to be divided in half. The child that Bathsheba bore dies Sin has serious consequences. Now, God despises wickedness and sin. Sin always ends up with a very high cost. Now, I don't know if you traveled a lot. Um, I did a lot of traveling before, and when you go sightseeing and go to these famous places, maybe like Times Square or uh, in New York or the Eiffel Tower in, in, in Paris, there are people uh, in that area that come up to you and say, uh, do you want a photo? And, and, and of course, you know, I'm gonna, especially my, if I'm traveling alone, I'm like, I'll love a photo, right? And so I hand, hand them my phone or my, my, my camera, and they take a photo. They're like, oh, you know, try different poses, right? Uh, you know, different angles. And then and when I, I, I receive my camera, I'm like, oh, thank you. And they're like, oh, no problem, $10. Or, or maybe more, $20, right? You thought you, would have, you, you were receiving some good service, right? But that momentary service, that momentary pleasure comes with a high cost. That's why when you see those people, you got to say, oh, no, no, I'm okay. No, <laughs> right? Unless you have money to spare, right? Uh, obviously, you know, that's a great opportunity to share the gospel. But <laughs> I'm telling you, momentary service or momentary pleasure comes with a very high cost. But notice how David responds to God's judgment in verse 13. Simply says, I have sinned against the Lord. No excuse. No hiding. Nothing else. David simply acknowledges his sin. But immediately, humbly, he repents. He asks for forgiveness. You know, you can read about his thoughts in Psalm 51, and some people believe that Psalm 32 as well. 
No, what he does is his, he asks for forgiveness. He acknowledges his sin. And when he does, God is quick to forgive. See what Nathan says in this very same verse. The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Now, this does not mean that all the consequences, consequences of David's sin was erased, right? Um, Dave, David still had to deal with the death of his son, still had to deal with you know, all, these, uh, all these things in, within his family um, and, and battle different nations. However, David, at this moment, because he repented, because he acknowledged his sin and asked for forgiveness, he was forgiven by God. No, we can fool people, but we can't fool God. Sin comes when we are not abiding in the word of God, when we are not immersing ourselves into the God-given tasks or responsibilities. No, when we try hard to cover up our sin, one sin just leads to another. But here is the good news, that we can come clean, that we can uncover our sin, that we can ask for forgiveness because our God is gracious and he is merciful. No, 1 John 1, 9, it says, if you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive your sins. All of your unrighteousness that he will cleanse. So, you and I, we are David. We are the men. We are the women. We have sin. And we have potential of committing terrible sin. And when that happens... Maybe you're battling it, battling it with, with it right now. Stop covering. Stop being creative and trying to cover up all your sin and hide it from God. Recognize that you can't fool God. So instead of hiding, come clean. Humble yourself. Ask for forgiveness. Repent. And just stay at the feet of the cross. Amen? Let's pray. As we kind of reflect on the message, I want you to think about something. Even though God, he uncovered David's sin through the prophet Nathan, I don't know if you recognize his grace, how he did it. You know, Nathan, when he first came, he, he told this story, right? He, he, he didn't go straight to the point. He could have, God could have easily said, David, you are a murderer. You are an adulterer. You are a liar, that you broke my law. But instead, God tells this beautiful story so that David would not be condemned, but that he would be convicted of his sins. When God uncovers our sins, he's not trying to condemn us. He's actually trying to restore us, have confidence in God's mercy and grace. Sometimes it is hard to, to acknowledge our sins. It takes courage. But stop waiting. Stop hiding. Deal with it right now. Don't let it grow in you. Seek God's mercy. Let's pray.